So welcome to the first ever edition of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. My name's Darren Clear. I'm soon going to be joined by my good friend Darren Hill and we're going to be talking some NBA but before we started I just wanted to go over with you uh, the reasons behind this podcast and how it sort of came together. Uh, Darren and I have been good friends for the last few years. He's spelt with one R, I'm spelt with two R's, hence the Daz and Daz with one Z and two Z's. And then uh, over the years, we've discovered that we had an equal passion for NBA and uh, just as much of a passion for talking about it and arguing about it. And we've done so over the phone and over Facebook for a few years now. And then we thought, why don't we formalise and have a bit of fun once a week in our lunch breaks, have a quick phone conversation over Skype, record it and put it down in a podcast. And that's what we've done for you here today. Uh, We've talked about mainly some of the younger teams in the NBA. We started by that just sort of talking about what fascinated us about this season. And uh, Darren Byrne, the passionate Milwaukee Bucks fan, he was more than happy to talk about the young Bucks squad. And we touch on the 76ers and Utah and Minnesota as well as a couple of other things from around the league. And I thought, with the exception of me saying um probably 10,000 times across the course of the podcast, for a first-up effort, it was pretty reasonable. And the content, hopefully, is something you'll enjoy. So enjoy for this week, and hopefully you'll visit us again moving forward. Okay, so welcome to the first edition of the Daz and Daz podcast. I'm joined by Darren Hill. Darren, how are you today? I'm really well, Daz with two Zs or Zs, as yes, we say. and that's the Daz with one Z. Yep. Uh, so we're here to talk about NBA, uh, as I mentioned in the outset. And the, re- the, the sort of thing we wanted to talk about today was looking at the NBA season so far as a whole. And it's actually been quite a fascinating season, which I think is unique to the NBA in that it's probably already a fait accompli that I think the Cavs and the Warriors will meet in the finals. But outside of that, uh, it's still been a very fascinating season. And what have been your biggest takeaways so far, Darren? Yeah, the, um, it has been interesting, hasn't it? So my, a few things jumped out at me. You've got the obvious ones, which are the, you mentioned Cavs, Dubs. Um, you have these historic, supremely high usage Harden and Westbrook triple-double machines happening. I think that's an interesting conversation about how those came about. Um, the one that's been bubbling up recently is the um, the discontent amongst the vets. You have Dwight Howard watching Corver get shipped off, you know, the mellow and Phil dynamic going on, um, D. Wade and Rondo and that sort of train wreck, which is sort of slowly moving or creating off the cliff. So there's kind of that what's going to happen with these great vets and how are they going to, I guess, write themselves or their teams. And, and probably the one that probably hits most for me, especially as listeners, all four of you will come to appreciate, right? I'm, I'm a Bucks fan, a suffering, long suffering Bucks fan. But the, the conversation, which you and I've, kicked around before right it's just the these interesting young core teams so the teams with these really young cores like the process sixers my bucks um the t wolves and maybe a lesser extent utah they're a little bit older i'd say the jazz are but 
so that for me is kind of what it's the the narrative around these young teams and who's going to be the next you know dubs calves um that's probably my biggest passion area and i guess the subset of that which is the most improved these interesting um emergence of you know isaiah thomas is kind of like the the Nate Archibald hybrid with Allen Iverson um, of Giannis. I'm just going to call him Giannis. Even I hear his name said a thousand times. I'm not going to repeat Antetokounmpo <laughs> 50 times. So we'll just call him Giannis. So that's the other one is these these young sort of emerging stars, which I think is always a fun fun thing to see kind of the next wave. So Yeah, I think, well, that's how we sort of started talking about this podcast, didn't we? We, we both predicted in the preseason that the Chicago Bulls would implode. Uh, and we've generally had the same views on some of those veteran teams uh, yeah. and, and asking the questions about what are Atlanta doing, etc. Um, but yeah. the conversation we keep coming back to is just looking at these young teams and saying, well, look, who is going to be the next team to come out of the East in particular um, once LeBron really does start to slow down and the Cavs probably aren't the, the right team anymore? Um, and then look at... The, the West as well and some of the younger teams that are starting out over there. Um, like for the Timbers, for example, I thought they were going to be much better this year, uh, but their defence has been uh, a real train wreck, which has been a real surprise for me because that's obviously what Tibbs was bought in for, um, to really lift that, that defence up to an elite level and they're a long, long way from that at the moment. Yeah, the, and that brings up the broader conversation again. Big one in Milwaukee is the just as for casual fans like us, right? Which is the um, what what really is the the magic sauce of coaching and system versus raw talent? So you think right, Tibbs has a long tracker track record of these defensive schemes, but then you have to start to look at if if he's failing so abjectly, is it just a function of time? Do they need a couple years in the system? Or is it a bigger problem like our cat KAT and um, and Wiggins in particular? Are they? Did we overestimate their willingness or abilities to even play team defense? I've got that issue in our backyard with Jabari, who we have to hide him on defense. Literally, have to hide him on on ball. Is he's just he gets himself so lost. So that's what I think is this interesting thing around these two teams in particular is they've got some great talent, but my goodness, they just lost on defense on a lot of days. Totally lost. Yeah, I think it is a matter of patience. I think uh, it's it's not going to happen overnight, but I do agree. I think Wiggins, the problem with Wiggins at the moment, he just doesn't have anything else to his game other than the the scoring, obviously. But you look at the box score each night and he's just not filling it up. And he, and he should be a good defender if you look at the intangibles that he has and the length and the athleticism and the quickness uh, and you see him do some things occasionally and you think wow that that was a good defensive play but um, as you say in a team scheme and a team system uh, it's just not working and, and Carl Anthony Towns has been even worse uh, on the defensive end I'd argue so it's been that's been a real train wreck and then on the Milwaukee side it's a similar situation where they're just a young team I mean you know, the, you, you've seen them. I mean, I think recently, what did they go? One and four in five games, and the one win was against Houston. And the losses were to the likes of the Sixers and Miami and just teams that are not even in the playoff race, uh, or certainly not at the moment. So 
it's it's a strange one um, to try and look at from the outside and see what what is going on with these teams and where is the development going to come. Um, you know, are the are Jabari and and Wiggins etc. Um, going to develop into good team defenders and are they going to be able to be a part of a really good scheme, or are they going to just continue to be the offense first players that they are, um, and sort of I guess be Camelo Anthony in terms of where, where their career is going to go from there. I can't help. So I think there's a whole bunch of things. That's a really interesting way to frame it. A whole bunch of things jump out at me is the. Uh, one part of me wonders, is this symptomatic of the one and done phenomenon mm. where Wiggins was, was he one year at Kansas? Yes, he was one year. Um, he was one and done, right? Jabari was one and done. Carl Anthony Towns was one and done. So part of me wonders, you know, when you're so physically gifted and they spend the first literally 19 years of their life, they've been probably playing ball since they were five or six years old, right? And probably fair to say, dominating their playground, dominating their high school, uh, dominating at college, and they're just so much more physically gifted on offense. Their brains have literally not had to invest any emotional energy in thinking about defense because they've been so successful for so long. And so part of me wonders, is it, one, can is it developable? That's a new word now, developable. <laughs> Or as you're saying, is it just a patience thing? I think that's what's going to be fascinating for the fan bases because I can see discontent in Milwaukee already. You yeah. see this wonderful scoring threat with Jabari, but my goodness, the way he gets lost on D is just – he shouldn't be doing that. This is year three in the system. Same thing with Wiggins, right? He just shouldn't be getting this lost this frequently. I go, there, I th- some, something's going to have to – have to give, I guess. I think it is the big question. I mean, how do you develop these players? We've got look at Embiid. I mean, Embiid really playing his first season, but he's been there, and, and they've openly said the fact that he's been he was injured and not playing was actually a an advantage. And Brett Brown was really excited about Simmons, Ben Simmons, because he said, "Look, we can just get him now into the the video rooms and into the training areas and just work on what we want to work on." Whereas when you're thrown straight away into game situations, especially in a one-and-done situation, it's hard. And I mean, there's limited practices, etc., throughout an NBA season as well. So it's hard to drill those things into these players. Um, and you look at the teams that do a good job of developing players. Like I look at the Spurs and I, looked, I watched DeJounte Murray, our first-round pick, come out against the Cavs and really play a great game a couple of weeks ago. But he spent time in the D-League. You know, they've spent time developing him away from just throwing him straight into game situations. Um, and then you look at a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who wasn't one and done. He's come out after four years of college, and he looks like a much more ready-made pro to me, um, even though he's not as talented as them guys. Um, he's probably the second-best rookie this season. Um, well, he's, that's the ironic thing, is that um, he's a rookie, and he's two years older than Giannis. That's right, yeah. Right, so he had a redshirt year. So he actually spent five years under a Tony Bennett system, right, a defensive first system, and um, bang on, he's the what do they say, the high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. Yeah, and so almost instant dividends from Brogdon. Um, but that's an interesting. Just going back a half step was the I, I hadn't guess heard the Philly camp say that about Embiid in such a, it's a 
uh, I thought maybe that's just some hyper-positive spin saying the two years back and forth to Yemen, right, getting, you know, reptile fluids injected into his <laughs> knees is now an advantage. Because I go, don't you learn more from playing this, or is this is not Aaron Rodgers sitting well, behind Brett think, Favre, right? I, I don't, don't know. think anyone would have wanted him to have two years out. But I think what oh. I heard, when Ben Simmons went down, they said he's going to miss the first half of the season. They, they weren't that disappointed about it, in all seriousness, because they could say, look, now we can just get him and we can start working on his shot, which obviously right. needs some development, and we can get him to sit on the bench for some games, and you've seen that at times. Um, and just get an understanding of what it takes in an, what an NBA game is all about, getting the film rooms and things like that. Um, and by doing that, you're just giving them a better understanding. I think you look at what Embiid's doing this year, I, I think it's just phenomenal. I mean, I, I had high hopes for him. I didn't have this higher expectations, I don't think. Um, and I don't know if anyone in Philly did. But I think some, a part of that, at least, is the fact that he was able to sit back for the two years, observe things, really get some coaching into him. You know, it's it's. I think there's two sorts of coaching. You can coach a guy while he's actually playing the game. You can also mm-hmm. coach guys away from the game. Um, and he's got a good understanding of the game, and he just keeps improving um, night after night. That's an interesting dynamic. We've got poor Brett Brown, right, who has suffered with the what they're winning what 12 games a year or something mm. for the last few years while they've been trusting the process of this uh preternaturally patient uh, individual and brett brown combined with the pardon the, the frank language but two years imagine what that's like right to go from alleged number one pick to having the foot injuries, to spending mm. two years away, and you go, my goodness, it would have been easy to see him coming out of the gates like a, you know, like a greyhound on heroin and just kind of overdoing it and over pushing. But they've seemed to have found that a really neat sort of agreed dynamic with minutes limitations, with how he's being used, and with game limitations and all that. So I think it's fascinating that whilst the Philly fan base probably no doubt is terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified every time he goes up for a dunk <laughs> and lands down every time he jumps? You know? Well, he gonna... when he hurt the knee, I think, and then yeah. he, he sat out for a play and then uh, came back in. And the Philly fans were just freaking out because oh, it was like, why would you put him back in? Of course you would. <laughs> so I think that whole I, – I think it's a really neat dynamic in a way. Of this, um, I'm not a big fan of the calendules. That's a conversation for a different day. Um, but the patience of Brown, right, of Brett Brown, to be able to do that, it's like, could you find a more perfectly temperamented coach for that environment than Brown? So, um, yeah. well, and he identifies himself as an Australian, so we've got, we've got, he's got that going for him as well. Um, despite obviously spending many years in the US. Um, and it's funny, the, the funny story, just to digress for a second, when he met his wife, he had to tell her he was Canadian because she didn't like Americans. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably more prevalent now than it's ever been, but that's I, I another story for another time. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so I, I think Philly, to me, the most fascinating team in the league this year, I've, and, and Embiid is like no other player. I, I can't remember... 
apart from probably when Shaq first came in the league, that I just looked at the guy and just couldn't believe what he was doing um, on the basketball court. Like this, this guy is just uh, absolutely amazing, and, and to think of how much better he's going to get potentially um, if he can stay touchwood injury free, um, and then you throw Ben Simmons into the mix, how good is he going to be? Um, they're already raving about what he's doing um, there in practices, etc. So it's it's going to be a fun second half of the season, and they could make a playoff run yet in in the East. <laughs> That's scary to think, isn't it? With, with well, good old I think they're only four and a half games back, so and it's not yeah. like it's a murderer's row of contenders ahead of them. No, what's What's Simmons' injury schedule? I haven't looked that up recently. I heard, Have you heard uh, anything after there? the All-Star break. So he's he's doing, I uh, believe, one-on-one drills now. Um, and the the plan is he's, tr- he's been travelling with the team on and off as well. And the plan is to have him uh, suiting up for games after the All-Star break. So, he, ident- he identifies himself as Australian as well, doesn't he? That's right, yeah. His dad was American, uh, one of the American imports in the NBL. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, so Brett Brown knew him growing up as well. Uh, and then, uh, of course, he exploded um, fairly well in high, in high school here and then LSU uh, and, and went number one. Um, and looking at, I mean, yeah, Brandon Ingram's been okay, but uh, I don't think they'd be written that pick at this stage. No. One of the interesting conversations that's bubbling up now in, in the Bucks land it relates to Philly, is what's the best, you know, what's the best system and best sort of talent matching for Giannis, right? He's the cornerstone. He's the franchise player. And so, well, in particular on nights when Jabari goes two for 13 and has maybe the most embarrassing turnover I've seen in years <laughs> with the 10 seconds left, racing down the court, tie game in the fourth quarter, leaping in the air, turning 180 and throwing it Past midcourt out of bounds to nobody. I go, especially in that, in light of that, we go, oh my goodness. Could you imagine if, now look at the time, there was a 0.0% chance of it happening, but pairing Embiid with Giannis? And I go, oh, maybe Jabari isn't the best fit. Well, Philly, Philly could have had Embiid, Porzingis, and uh, Giannis. Uh, had they have drafted, they had the opportunity to draft all three of those, and they only drafted Embiid. So um, I think that's that would have been a very interesting dynamic. But in terms of the Bucks, I I don't mind Jabari being there. I think he will get it on the defensive end. Um, I guess it's more about what do you need in terms of guards, because at the moment you've got Giannis can play basically a point forward. Um, or point Giannis, as they say, because he's really a, a, a position of his own when he takes that role on. So then what sort of guards do you need around him? Um, you know, touch what... I mean, dare I say it, I'd love to see a JJ Redick there um, for the Bucks. And I think you mentioned yourself this morning, Brandon Knight would have been a nice fit um, with his skill set. So I think there are players out there now. Both of those players have worn Bucks uniforms before. I don't think... Brandon Knight wasn't for too long, was it? But uh, they've both sort of been around that team and they've had those sort of players. Um, you know I'm not a big Delavadova fan, so I don't think he's sort of added too much to the mix. Um, I, th- I actually think Greg Munro's been okay off the bench. Um, I don't mind that. I don't mind bringing a big guy that can score off the bench. 
Uh, maybe you're probably paying a bit too much money to do that, but that's that's today's NBA where you're paying guys big money to come score off the bench. Yeah. Um, and hope they don't smash a chair and break their hand or break their arm like Cantor did. But um, outside of that, I, as I said, I think it's really the guard spots that they need to concentrate on, say, who is the best guards. And, and we haven't seen Middleton with this team yet either. And I'm talking about this this iteration of, of Milwaukee. So that's going to be interesting after the All-Star break. When, when he comes, when Middleton comes in, uh, then you're really just looking at point guard and you're saying, well, Brogdon's probably our backup. At the moment, Delavadova is the starter, but that's not going to be sustainable going forward. I think he's possibly going to be a trade chip moving forward. His contract won't look as bad once the new CBA comes in. Um, and then you look at it going forward from there. But I guess you really want a guy that can spot up, can take a few playmaking dues, but also be a nice spot-up shooter, which I don't think Brockton is. I think they probably would hope Delavadova could shoot a bit better, but I think he's shooting you know, low 30s from three this season. So he's been a disappointment in terms of his shooting. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, do you would, would you agree with that sort of thinking that, you know, have, have a guy that can spot-up shoot but also take some playmaking duties as well. So this is not unique to the bar. Led team is positionless, right? Or being multi-positional. And so they don't really talk about positions as much as they talk about role, right? So Giannis, is, a, is he a point guard? Is he a point center? Like those labels are kind of irrelevant. So what they're saying... The, the, the conversation in Milwaukee is how do you surround Giannis with two things? One, with shooting, as you pointed out. So just shooting, right? Shooting to, cre- to create spacing. And um, the second one is playmaking, right? And some quickness to help relieve the burden of an already overburdened, probably, player in Giannis who has to extend and expend so much energy on the defensive end, uh, cleaning up all kinds of messes and all the help side stuff and the chase downs. He exerts a lot of energy on the defensive side, so he's by far their best defensive player and by far the greatest offensive player. And so that playmaking capability is something they absolutely have to solve for. So you're spot on. Um, Outback Jesus has not had a, a great season. He's probably, what, six or seven points down off his career three-point percentage, and I think what we're seeing is what Zach Lowe and others pointed out was that if you don't have Delhi in a system surrounded by Kevin Love and LeBron James and, you know, an offensive rebounding hawk like Tristan, he's just not going to have much space, and he doesn't. So he's not wide open like he was in Cleveland. And I think that's probably a pretty pretty predictable thing why his percentages are down. He's just contested. His shots are more contested now. Hmm. So a good enough bench player, um, but he's not been a, you know, um, he hasn't really helped them win games, to be blunt. Yeah, uh, Brogdon is a an occasional playmaker, but he is the he's like a hybrid, you know, Andre Miller, Nate McMillan type of point guard, this big, burly, intelligent floor general type of guy who got occasionally will get some burst. You've seen him facialize or posterize a few few this year already, so he's got some burst, but you'll never mistake him for quick. And so he is a phenomenally effective guard in 20 minutes a night or 24 minutes a night. And so, again, that puts so much pressure on Giannis to do playmaking. 
and shot creation, um, which is a tricky thing for them. And so they, they absolutely have to solve this playmaking component. And so my ideals are like a, you know, a Jeff Teague, Drew Holiday, my dream land, you know, if George Hill could land in Milwaukee somehow, something like that. Yeah, Brandon Knight probably used to be, but I, I think he's kind of seen his his stock fall off quite a lot, buried in the bench now, even in Phoenix. So, um, but the other thing, just going back to the other thing around Giannis is the shooting. Middleton, yep, he'll be back hopefully sooner rather than later, and that will help kind of put Delhi's minutes down to a minimum. But Jabari, what a surprise. I think the entire Bucks nation, if we just get out of the emotions of, as you said, we can we'll beat the Cavs and beat the Spurs and beat the Rockets and beat Russ Westbrook, perfectly healthy OKC team, and lose twice to the Sixers, right? Mm. And get and get crushed by the by the Pelicans. So there's just this radical uh, spectrum of performance from the team in terms of wins and losses and nightly matchups that are absolutely aggravating. But if we got away from that and you start you just looked at perhaps unlike what you're saying with with Wiggins in Minnesota. And no, Jabari Jabari is never going to be confused for a lockdown defender. But to be shooting 40, 41% from three on a non insignificant amount of attempts, if you would have said that to me at the beginning of the year, Jabari is going to average 20 points a game and shoot 40% from three on whatever it's going to be, probably 300 attempts, I would have kissed your feet and said that absolutely will be considered a season that was successful. So. That's where this debate around is Jabari a good fit or not. If he's but what he was last year was just a, a bull in a china shop, only capable of this heads down, quick muscling his way to to attack the rack. He's now he's got this really wonderful three point game to go. Okay, we can see the makings of some magic here on offense. Um, well, and that's where the NBA is headed to, but it's headed towards these long, athletic guys. And I think that was the thinking for Jason Kidd when he bought Michael Carter-Williams in, was even though it didn't work out, with, with him, Middleton, Giannis and Jabari, and even you put in Henson, that's a long, long team. Um, and it's going to be hard to attack that team. And they actually weren't too bad defensively, um, that team. They just couldn't score. Um, but you could sort of see defensively where he was trying to get the team to go. Um, but because Mike Carter-Williams was such a disaster, particularly on the offensive end, and he really wasn't a great defender either, but I think you could still put him into a, into a good team scheme, um, that sort of scuttled that idea, and now they're back to they haven't really got the length that they need to play the sort of team defense I think Jason Kidd would like them to play. Um, so that might be something else to look at um, going forward. Um, you know what they you know what they discovered. You're, so you're bang on. What they've discovered is they're starting to put Tony Snell on point guards. Mm. So it doesn't show up in the box score, but we have seen games from him where he just again exerts every ounce of energy in just doing his best to stay in front of Harden or in front of Westbrook or in front of uh, Schroeder or, or Kemba. And at 6'7", and also really long, if Snell can defend point guards, and Giannis can, be, can basically run the point on offense, which most, most possessions and most sets he can, then you do have the makings. You've got Snell defending point guards. 
Middleton, who's a fantastic three and D wing as well, can defend twos or threes. Jabari, who's 250, 260 pounds, can muscle up against maybe some of the burlier centers of the fours. And Giannis can, right, can patrol the paint. Now you have something. Now you go, where the heck is Isaiah Thomas going to go with the ball when he's got a six foot seven guy with a, you know, a seven foot reach like Snell defending him? So interestingly enough, Snell hasn't brought um, probably anything we didn't expect on the offensive end, but my goodness, what a wonderful, pleasant surprise on defense. So they're, they're actually not far away um, from a personnel standpoint on the defensive end um, until you look at the probably the greatest sore spot is just the, the black hole that is the center position. You know, Henson, who hasn't improved in anything since his rookie year, which frustrates the heck out of Bucks Nation. Mm. And just the inconceivable contract they gave Miles Pumley, you know, four years and $80 billion or whatever it was, $50 million, I think, over four. Yeah. And getting almost, you know, almost negative VORP from an average of, $25 million a year for those two clowns. And so that's from a, a roster construction perspective is going to be the biggest challenge is not so much the defensive scheme, um, but how are they going to solve for the $25 million they've got locked in these two guys for the next three seasons after this one? That's probably the bigger question, even then how do they fill up the backcourt, especially if mids comes back healthy? Because Delhi, Middleton, Jet, um, for this season anyway, uh, and Brogdon with Giannis running the point, that is more than enough to have a competent backcourt. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, it's just a matter of getting a competent big man. I mean, even Dwayne Dedman or someone like that. Um, the, uh, Dwayne Dedman's really played well for the Spurs um, this year. That's the sort of player. They don't need anyone that's going to do anything fantastic. Um, and I mean, you look at what Zaza has actually started to play really well at the Warriors. Um, so that, I think you just when you've got the corner pieces um, that you can build around, you just need a guy that's going to be competent on the defensive end um, and and then play well in the pick and roll. Yeah. Um, but you know that that they're, so there are a couple of pieces away. Um, and I, but I think they're they're building a team, and this will lead me on to the next term I wanted to talk about. They're building a team that really can compete with the the type of basketball that. Cleveland and Golden State in particular and probably Houston are playing at the moment and that's where I wanted to talk about Utah quickly before we wrap up just to talk about I think if if there's a team if if you said to me the Warriors aren't going to win the title this year and they're actually going to be upset in the second round of the Western Conference playoffs I'd put every bit of money I had on Utah to burn the team that knocks them out because I just think there's only one team that can slow them down defensively and that's Utah um, Utah probably can't score enough to take advantage of that, but I just like the sort of team that they're building. I think that's where the NBA, to some extent, is heading. Um, you know, a team that's long and athletic, but good shooting. You know, quite a good few good shooters around. Um, and Derek Favors is, if if he can sort of develop to where they want him to be, um, that starting five is going to be very very difficult. And then you've got you know, guys off the bench. Um, you know, Joe Ingles has played really well this year. You've still got Boris Diaz playing well. Um, you've got guys off the bench that can keep the second unit going as well. But what, what are your thoughts on Utah and, and what they're sort of building out there? Well, they certainly were probably not taking anyone by surprise, right? I think the preseason 
had a lot of them in this discussion were mm, just what you said. If they can get the pieces and Hayward stays healthy, they can, boy, they're going to be deep. So especially in a long series, that's why I find they're interesting because they're probably not going to be better than what? A six seed? Oh, West? Think, yeah, I would think maybe they could sneak into the five. So you, yeah. know, you don't know with the Clippers. So the Clippers could fall off a cliff at some point. Yeah, we probably don't have – I'd love to talk about the Clippers another day. Yeah, we um, need another podcast for the Clippers. Yeah, yeah we do. The poor injury-riddled <laughs> Clippers, right? My goodness. But so Utah was, a, I think, a, probably a sexy pick preseason. And I think they've pretty much delivered in spite of uh, another rash of injuries for them as well. So Favors hasn't been healthy, you know, but part of the year, uh, which really disrupts their rotation up front. But um, I guess what I was saying is that they could, this could be like a 44-win team who actually might be more effective over seven games because of their depth. And because of their defensive willingness. Well, and just I think, again, uh, do interrupt you there. I think they're the opposite yeah. of the Spurs in the sense that the Spurs are a 60 win team built for the regular season. They're going to be a, probably a two seed. I can't see Houston catching them at this stage, but I don't think they're built for the playoffs. And I think Utah, to your point, are the exact opposite. I think they're not that well built for the regular season, and injuries have certainly played a part in that. But I think they're going to be a very, very tough out. Um, come playoff time. Couldn't agree more. I Full disclosure, though, I've seen Utah, I've probably seen two full games of the Jazz, so to be fair, most of my, um, most of watching the, the NBA largely through the box lens, of, you know, a heavy Eastern Conference schedule, I'm probably a lot closer to the likes of what, what's happening in the East, but um, just on paper and what I've seen, um, what I keep reading out of Utah, they are they're absolutely on the right path. Quinn Snyder, right? How, who doesn't like Quinn Snyder and what they're building? Um, it's just can they can they get healthy and stay healthy? And that first round matchup, I go, what's the best matchup for them in the first round? So who 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 do you think they match up best against? Oh, the so, Spurs, probably. Probably. So, so that means what they have. So they're going to probably meet the Spurs or the I would Clippers imagine, the- yeah. Look, they'd love to meet the Clippers, but I think at, at this stage you're possibly looking at Houston, maybe even Memphis. Um, I don't even mind the Houston matchup for them, um, but I think there are. I think honestly, everyone's ideal matchup will be the Spurs because I just don't think anyone believes in this team come playoff time. Um, and if they can get through that, as I said, if they, depending on where the seeds fall, um, if they meet the Warriors, I think that's going to be a fascinating series. Yeah. Well, I think what the what you're talking about before, to, just relating it to Milwaukee, what Milwaukee does well uh, against the Dubs, against um, lesser to the extent of the Cavs, because the Cavs are just a physically a bigger team all around, but the Bucks get in the way with their length. They get in the way. They play Golden State really, really hard. Mm. I think similarly to Utah, with Favors and Gobert being able to fly around and, and play switches on the wings and get in the face of Clay and Durant so they're not you know, wide open of all these, you know, with their, with their threes, that's, that's their ticket. That's their ticket is just get in their face on defense. So I hope well, they stay healthy. I did watch the game early this year where Golden State beat uh, Utah. And uh, Utah at that stage, I think Haywood wasn't playing, Favors wasn't playing. They are basically subsisting on Joe Ingles' three-pointers 
And they played the Warriors tough. And Draymond Green was running around talking trash and never stopped talking the whole game. And I thought, these guys have got the Warriors' attention. Um, you know, I don't think the Warriors necessarily fear anyone, but I think if there's a couple of teams they sort of have a grudging respect for, and I feel like Utah is one of those teams because they always seem to struggle to score um, and to get going and really get in the flow of their game. And, and the Milwaukee's the same, you know, because of that length, because they can switch on everything, and they've got the rim protection as well. And they have a... I just think Utah has a... There's a toughness about them that I like. Milwaukee is this at the moment probably just going back to the these youngish teams where I put Utah's on the next level of maturity because I think Utah knows who they are and they've got a personality about them where the Bucks are still trying to find this identity. If you can go out one night and and beat the Dubs and beat the Cavs and beat the Rockets and get blown out by the Sixers, you don't have it figured out yet. That means there's a wild inconsistency, which I don't see with Utah in the best way possible. I think they're they're the same team every single night. Yep. And that's what I think makes them really good in the seven-game series. That's right, and that's where they're going to be tough to beat um, come the seven-game series. So, uh, Okay, well, look, we might have to leave it there for now, uh, but that was a good... I think we, we've sort of covered off most of the things that we wanted to cover off just on some of those young teams in the league. Uh, we're going to try and do this once a week, uh, maybe tape it on a Tuesday, post it on a Wednesday... For people next week, we might have a look at the All Star Game. Um, you know, thoughts on picks in the All Star Game, maybe ways of improving the overall game itself. Because when I was growing up, it used to mean something, and now it seems to be just a, a hit in the giggle, as they say. Uh, so it'd be nice to get back to a serious All Star Game again, and, and have these guys at least take it a little bit seriously um, and, and make it a bit more of a spectacle. But look, that's something we might talk about next week. So thanks, Darren, for for this. Thanks, Darren. No problems. And look, we'll be back again next week.